they did the whole thing. I mean, even 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 that movie ends with Jerry's final thoughts. Oh yeah, that's just right. Just like his show did. I mean, <laughs> I forgot. Like, Austin Powers is like a love letter to the '90s yeah. and even to the '60s. What's up, everybody? This is Sarah, your host of Talk to the Hand podcast, a podcast about the 90s, everything you love about the 90s, and more. What's up, everybody? How you doing? I feel like I can breathe again. I don't know about you. I was in such a slump, and, you know, it was a hard time at the beginning of the year, Um, but this is a new era, everyone, and um, I think, you know, this is a good topic. This is a good week. This is a good... Yeah, we're, we're, we're going up. We're, we're going up from here. All good things from here. Um, don't forget, stay involved, stay active. Our work is only just beginning. Um, and uh, as I say every week, be safe, wear masks, socially distance, and be a good human. Okay, this week I'm joined by my husband, my co-host, my co-producer, my co-everything, my twin flame for baby daddy, as I say every week, my husband, Eric. Hi, Eric. How are you, baby? I'm groovy, baby, yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I mean, that's the best. Okay, so what are we talking about today, Eric? We're talking about one of the grooviest trilogies that was ever made. <laughs> Shagadelic, baby. We are talking about Austin Danger Powers. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay, 90s kids. We are talking about Austin Powers, a trilogy of spy action comedy films starting in 1997, starring... None other than Shrek himself. I mean, Mike Myers. <laughs> Mike Myers, like times four. He's in like he's like four of the characters. Um, Austin Powers was a trilogy, like we said, spy action comedy films, um, popular for its very vibrant, you know, groovy '60s, swinging '60s aesthetic. Uh, super rad soundtrack. I mean, we're going to talk about that in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the so- soundtrack is incredible, and that should be a podcast on its own. I think so, too. Absolutely. But we'll touch on it later. Yeah. So it also had that really dumb humor, quotable lines, iconic characters, bad teeth, sweet cars, fembots, and basically for it was popular for what? Spoofing James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those those 90s Brosnan flicks. <laughs> I mean, I, I love them. I grew up with them. I, I, I love them to death. But Austin Powers kind of derailed that franchise. <laughs> yes. Okay. And it was so huge in the 90s. I mean, who, even if you weren't like a, a James Bond person, Austin Powers, like everyone knew www.zipit.com.org. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I just feel like Austin Powers, even if you weren't a fan, like you grew up, you existed in the 90s alongside this very, very famous character. So, but before we get into the topic, just want to remind you, as always, follow us on social media, TTTH Pod on Twitter, Talk to the Hand Pod on Instagram. Our website is talktothehandpod.com. And you can email us at talktothehandpod at gmail.com. And we will put all of the references for this episode in the show notes. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Yeah, very, yeah. Okay, all right. So Austin Powers was a series of spy action comedy films, and they came out between 97 and 2002. Okay, so Eric, what were the three Austin Powers movies, and when did they come out? 
breaking onto the international scene, we had in 1997, Austin Powers, the international man of mystery. Such a good one. Then two years later, we had the uh, most shagadelic sequel ever, Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me, followed up with the most triumphant Austin Powers gold member in 2002. Okay, so the series was produced and written by Mike Myers, who also starred as Austin Powers and Dr. Evil and other characters like Fat Bastard and Goldmember. Um, but Mike Myers was, you know, he was a big name in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, it was 1997. He was coming pretty close, hot off the heels of Wayne's World 1 and 2. He was huge on, on SNL in the, the early 90s. I mean, he was... It can't be understated how big of a name Mike Myers yeah. actually was this in 1997. I feel like this made him really mainstream. Right, like it, Wayne's it, World had a, like a, a cult following. It, it was it was for that that SNL crowd. Yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. that that comedy was, lovers. It was definitely a drawn out SNL skit, you know, yeah. and it played with that late night crowd, you know, super well. Where I was like, right, yeah, with with Austin Powers, like that really really break, broke him through to to the mainstream. I mean, so much so that I mean, it was right around that same time that he started Shrek. I mean... Yeah, it was like right in between two and three. I think it was like 2001 or something. Yeah, we might have to look up when the first Shrek movie came out. We might have to cycle back to that. Um, but anyways, I mean, it can't be understated. Again, like right around the turn of, you know, the century there, Mike Myers was huge. Yeah. Yeah, he really was. Swing! <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so it's a, it's a really big, uh, it was a very big trilogy that was very mainstream parodies, the James Bond films and characters and lots of other pop culture. Um, and it follows a British super spies quest to bring down the supervillain Dr. Evil. Um, the film itself was an archetype of like the 1960s swinging London. Austin Powers was an advocate of free love and, um, you know, he wore such groovy clothes and like velour suits and you know he had the male or the volvo symbol or the who symbol you know like that like it was so 60s um it pokes fun of the outrageous plots of the especially the pierce brosnan era um of like those outrageous plots rampant sexual innuendo two-dimensional stock characters and then associated with those like spy films, it was just and like the fact that he was this ultra suave super spy like that. It, it really, really takes that and makes it the hyperbole of it and just adds a lot of color to it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you had characters like uh, number two, Frau Varbisna, um and I Mustafa. Mustafa, uh, yeah, Will Will Ferrell's uh, character. If everybody forgot that Will Ferrell okay, was in Austin need Powers, to also make sure that we know that he plays blackface in this, and it's or he 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 portrays a person of color, and um, it's actually very offensive. It's very off color and does not. Hold, but anyway, continue. Music by George Clinton, composed by George Clinton. Is I mean, it funkier than that. Yeah, I mean, funkadelic. I mean, <laughs> that's literally what it was. I mean, George Clinton. I mean, like if, if you're if you're making a movie with the '60s aesthetic, a '60s groovy, sexy, you know, funky swingin'. aesthetic, swinging aesthetic, George Clinton. I mean, like literally, who else are you gonna get? No yeah. one. Yeah. 
Um, so, and then apparently, oh, also Demi Moore was a producer. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that was a weird fact. I, I remember hearing that recently too, yeah. that it was just like one of those random things you don't know about the Austin Powers movies. And the fact that Demi Moore was a producer on that, like, I, somebody needs to give me a little backstory on yeah, that. Somebody needs to explain like I'm five. Like, <laughs> how did Demi Moore get involved with Austin Powers? Someone, not- someone email us, please. If you know the answer, please, please put us in touch. Um, so apparently Mike Myers was driving one day and heard The Look of Love by Burt Backrack and wondered, where have all the swingers gone? Um, he actually created the character in the series as a tribute to his dad, who had passed away in like um, the early 90s and introduced him to James Bond and the Beatles. I also uh, remember reading that Mike Myers also drew some inspiration for this because uh, at the time, you know, he was he was married to his, his wife and I, I don't remember what her name is or whatever but he used to you know when they would you know do their thing in the bedroom he would do this kind of like sexy English character (laughs) and like this dance and she helped encourage him to actually make that a character (laughs) and so that's where some of that inspiration came from and not to mention uh, Dr. Evil was also based entirely off of uh, the the longtime and still producer of Saturday Night Live Lorne Michaels yeah Uh, so it was like hey here's yeah I mean it, it was it was kind of like Wayne's World, where it was like, like a uh, tribute, like a love letter to it. Yeah, yeah, it was you know like a big you know SNL get together kind of yeah. a thing, and I, I love that. If you were a fan of SNL in the '90s, you could see that. Yeah. And oh, absolutely. That was that was really Even fun. If you knew like marginally the SNL people, like you knew Mike Myers was one of them. Well, like, it's all, you knew he was funny, and like he it lended him a certain credibility. Yeah, but it, but it's also funny to think about too that after three Austin Powers movies. There was one person you'd expect to make a cameo that never did. Dana Carvey. Yeah. Garth. Yeah. I mean, he could have had one of those 2D stock characters that we spoke about. Yeah, but, but like, I think it would have been too much. Too much with Wayne's World. That, that's like, that's too much. I don't know. I would have loved some Dana Carvey in that. <laughs> I mean, it would have been better than him being in the okay, Master of Disguise. Kids, settle this for us. Let us know what you think. Send us a message. DM us. Email us. Yeah. Would you have <laughs> rather seen Dana Carvey in Austin Powers or Dana Carvey do uh, Master of Disguise and The Love Guru? Okay. Oh, wait, no. That was Mike Myers. Crap. That was Mike Myers. It was a Well, that movie was also abysmal. It was so. terrible. Um, okay, so like we said, he grew up listening to the Beatles. He actually said, I can't even tell you how huge James Bond was in our house. That's what really why I wanted to do Austin Powers. Austin Powers is out of pure love for James Bond. Well, I mean, you, you can even see that too. I mean, even in the, the titles for the movies. I mean, yeah. you know, The Spy Who Shagged Me, that was a clear playoff of the, you know, the James Bond, The Spy Who Loved Me or Goldmember being a playoff Goldfinger. I mean, you know, Dr. Evil with the cat. I mean, he looks just like Dr. No. And, you know, you could also also tell heavily that, you know, Mike Myers was also very influenced by the Monty Python films Uh, with the critic even saying the critic Robbie Collins, Robbie Collin even saying Austin Powers chugs along on Pythonism, which is true. I mean, it's like if you had a total combination of the, you know, the, the the James Bond movies with the Monty Python movies and, a, you know, a nice heavy dose of free love, swing and psychedelics. Yeah. Boom. There's Austin Powers. I mean. With a George Clinton soundtrack. With a George Clinton <laughs> soundtrack. Not to mention Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones theme song. <laughs> like, hey, we got George Clinton. Who else can we get? 
Quincy, Quincy Jones. Jones. Oh my God. Like, um, so, okay. So let's, that's, so you have a pretty good idea now, hopefully about what Austin Powers was a sixties spy thrust into new assignments in a world he no longer stands. And it's ironic because Dr. Evil, who's the villain is also in this new world 30 years later that he doesn't understand. And that's evidenced by like when, um, Austin goes, oh, I'm in 97. Like, oh, uh, Cold War is over, baby. Yeah. Like, oh, too bad. Russians won. And, and they're like, no, no, we won. The USA won. And then he was like, oh, yay, capitalism. Like, <laughs> he just had no idea. <laughs> the, yeah, the, 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 the blissful naivete that that he has is just it's delightful like it, it, it holds up to time because like you can imagine yourself being thrust out of time the like that thing. and like you would have no idea yeah. and like he's just just airheaded enough that has he is such a lighthearted light heart feel yeah. feel about it that it's not some deep dark psychological thriller <laughs> you know it's it's yeah baby yeah, like baby groovy. what happened to free love like you know when he's talking to his wife yeah. Vanessa and she's like you can't do that anymore and he's like why why <laughs> I'm just here for a good time yeah <laughs> not a long time but a good time <laughs> okay okay all right let's get back on track um so this takes place in 1997 and I just want to say <laughs> so the first the first Austin Powers takes place in 1967 I just want to say they fast forward to 1997 and it's when Austin says or uh, Basil says, a time when greed and corruption ruled again. <laughs> 1997. So that's when Dr. Evil's unfrozen and they have to like catch up on the world and what they've missed in that time. Um, so like he, when he inspires to steal the nuclear weapons and you like hold, I mean, who does not remember the, like when he, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal the nuclear weapons and hold the world hostage for one million dollars. And then everyone like laughs at him out of the fucking room. I mean, like, yeah, Tim Robbins is the president of the United oh, States. I forgot about that. Like, Shawshank Redemption, <laughs> Tim Robbins is the president of the United States. So and they're good. talking about nuking the moon and he's like, would you miss it? So speaking of other cool people in the movie, okay, so we also learn um, that in the 30 years that Dr. Evil's been chirogenically frozen, that they artificially created his son, Scott Evil, who resents his father's absence and resists his attempt to get closer to him. And I just have to say, Scott Evil and like the Scott Evil, like angsty teenager, like mad at his dad story arc is hands down my favorite one. I mean, that was perfect it for, was for so the 90s too. I mean, good. he was like the perfect new metal son, yeah. you know, like. But, but the funny thing is, too, is, like, he's so mad at, at Dr. Evil for never being there, being the father that was absent or whatever. But you have Dr. Evil that's coming back from being cryogenically frozen in goddamn space for 30 years. He doesn't even know he had a kid that whole time. It's not like he had a kid and bailed or anything. But he didn't even know. So he did everything he could to try and get close to that kid. But <laughs> Scott Evil was just like, no, no, no. Well, like, Scott was also a product of his time. And like, it's just, it's just so good. I, I will never laugh as hard as I did when I saw the um, Jerry Springer spoof that they did. Um, so that takes place oh in the God. second one. I mean, how, how 90s is, is that? I mean, they, it's so funny. Like they even filmed it with Jerry Springer on the Jerry he Springer actually, set. Yeah, like, he actually made the cameo. Like, they did the whole thing. I mean, even 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 that movie ends with Jerry's final thoughts. Oh, yeah, that's just right. Just like I his forgot. show did. I mean. <laughs> I forgot like, 
Austin Powers is <laughs> like a love letter to the 90s yeah. and even to the 60s. I mean, even if you watch yeah. them now, they still hold up and they really look like, you know, Mike Myers just grew up in the 90s on SNL, Wayne's World, Austin Powers, Shrek, and this is a love letter to that. Yeah. I mean, it's... It also was so... It's shagadelic. It was also so humble, too, because it knew it didn't have the budget for, like, the big, the big you know, James Bond-esque type of, like, stunts and everything. Like, there, I even read that um, they couldn't afford to do digital exploding heads for the Fembot dance when Austin does his sexy dance. Um, so the... Product or the the director Jay Roach said he saw this trick in Jacob's Ladder where you quote ridiculously undercrank the footage. If the actors move slowly when you play it back, they look sped up. So he had the women <laughs> who played the fembots move their heads slowly in all directions, and then they shot a cannon um, ball of explosives on a wire explosives on a wire, and then they just superimposed the explosion on the heads, and then they cut to the cheesy dummies falling over. So that was actually because they couldn't afford anything else but it ends up being the campy fun light-hearted um comedy that that we all love so much i mean who it, it was it was like a hug and a laugh at the at the same time yeah i mean it was like they were making a hollywood blockbuster on an snl budget yeah <laughs> and they nailed it and they nailed it and they, they knew nailed it. it yeah and they knew it and they knew they could play into it yeah, and that was the thing that I think was uh, smart about that that whole franchise is that they played into every stereotype there was, but they did it in such a self-aware way that it just holds up today. I yeah. mean, I mean you you could, you know, it's it's been you know, what? 20 shit, 24 years since the first Austin Powers movie came out. I mean, it's fun. It's great. It's brilliant. But I also wanted to say, I I learned, another thing I learned was it took them 25 takes to do the nudity blocking scene. Um, and they were starting to get really nervous that they wouldn't actually nail it. And they didn't have any kind of special effects. So that was a big scene where they were all super nervous about it. The other thing was the 27, the very infamous 27 point turn that Austin has to do in that extended golf cart. He said it was really, really hard and he only got one or two takes and that they literally right before he was jumping into the car to film this scene, they told him if he actually hit the wall, they would be fined $100,000. Because I was like, <laughs> literally as I was stepping into the car, I heard that and he his like literal words were, oh shit. <laughs> well, yeah, because you're going in thinking like, you know you're going to fuck it up. Yeah. You know you're going to, but now you know that every time you do, it's a hundred K. Wow. Yikes. <laughs> I mean, that would even make Dr. Evil turn his nose. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We need to touch on um, a couple of his like henchmen. Okay. So let's talk about number two for a second. So number two, I mean, the perfect henchman in, in the first Sets movie. Um, yeah. No, Viacom. <laughs> Virtue con. <laughs> Virtue Con. Freudian slip, maybe? Whoops. <laughs> um, well, they also end up owning Starbucks. Starbucks and the Space Needle. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's they, like a corporate, like, mega lord. Yeah. Like. Well, that, that's just funny, too, that it's 1999 and they're already like, we own Starbucks. Like, yeah. we, we, we have our, our, our secret layer in the Starbucks headquarters of the Seattle Space Needle. Mm -hmm. And, like, 
Look at over time. Like they didn't know that almost 25 years, 20, 25 years later, that Starbucks was going to be as big as it is now. Yeah. And they're already playing off of it. But not not to mention, you know, how, how good number two was in setting all that up for Dr. Evil in his time of being cryogenically frozen with Mr. Bigglesworth in space uh, in the big boy <laughs> statue thing. Statue yeah. thing. Perfect. That's the technical term for it. <laughs> um, That's why you have me. Yes. Okay. So number two, Rob Lowe. I was getting that. Yeah, when they go back in time and young number two is Rob Lowe. It was so Oh my good. God. Like, it's so good. Yeah. 90s Rob Lowe is just, I just one of the most beautiful things the earth has to offer. I just have to thank Rob Lowe's agent. And Rob, if you're listening, please call us. And, you know, once COVID's over, come have a drink. Um, but <laughs> Rob Lowe, I have to think that his agent was like, yo, <laughs> Austin Powers too. And he was like, yep, in. <laughs> I mean, you had to, yeah, you had to think that when his agent called him, he just pulled a Chris Traeger and was just like, yep, that is literally <laughs> the only role I want to play. Totally. And it was. It was so good. It's brilliant. I mean, if, if you don't remember Rob Lowe in, in Austin Powers 2, The Spy Who Shagged Me, go watch that movie and you will want Rob Lowe to be the spy that shagged you. <laughs> okay, let's talk about CIA agent Felicity Shagwell. Heather Graham. Heather Graham, come on. Like, so, brilliant. She was great. Okay. I just, I, I guess. If I, you don't remember Heather Graham, think The Hangover. She was the one from The Hangover. Yeah. So she plays Felicity Shagwell. Um, she has this like gorgeous, you know, 60s blonde hair. And she's just this like super, super American babe. And that's where we get the song. The, we are blessed with, gifted with the song American Woman by Lenny Kravitz, which I have been seriously blasting the last oh week. It is so good. Yeah. Lenny that Kravitz kills that song. That yeah. song slaps. Pure bangers and mash. Yeah. Pure. Oh, wow. Okay. Really quickly about uh, Mini Me, Vern Troyer, R.I.P. Aww. So, um, Mini Me, I think there is some problematic. Uh, a lot of problematic points to his character, but um, but he Doctor Evil wouldn't be Doctor Evil without Mini Me. Yeah, he was I a mean, different villain after Mini Me. Mini Me completed him. <laughs> we have empirical evidence. Yeah, we have Straight empirical evidence. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of horses, I open mouth kissed a horse once. Oh my god. <laughs> That's something you don't know. Oh my god. Anyway. Yeah, Ver, Vern Troyer, Mini Me. I mean, that was that was a stroke of pure, pure, pure brilliance. I mean, you know, and it plays off of the whole fact that you know Doctor Evil really just wanted to be a father, and he really wanted to have that relationship with someone. And Scott wasn't having it because Scott was mad at him for leaving, but Doctor Evil didn't even know that he left a son. And then he had Mini Me, so of course they had the relationship where. It was perfect. He could have the son that he wanted. That was everything he wanted. It was exactly a mini me. Okay. All right. What about Gold Member, who lost his uh, his junk in a smelting An accident? Unfortunate smelting accident. <laughs> um, I have to say, Gold Member is my least favorite character. He's absolutely disgusting. I mean, the fact that he peels okay, his... Okay, let's not... No, no. Let's not finish that. That's going to make me freaking gag. Um, okay, so... Casey and the Sunshine but has, Band. But he has a super, super sick roller disco club. And his flexibility is, 
you know, True. unparalleled. I mean, there, there's True. one scene in there where where Beyonce, Foxy Cleopatra, Foxy Cleopatra yeah. coming at you. We, we love Beyonce in this in the in the House of Hill. We love Beyonce. Oh, her afro in that movie. We also meet Michael Caine as Nigel Powers, Austin's dad. We also see a Britney Spears cameo in the third movie. We uh, also get a delightful Steven Spielberg cameo, Tom Cruise, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ozzy and Family, Kevin Spacey, Danny DeVito, and John Travolta. But hold on. We, 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 we got to just mention for a minute that the start of Austin Powers 3 is like the whole gigantic, you know, play off the 90s blockbuster thing. I mean, you know, with even Tom Cruise playing yeah. Austin Powers. I mean, being one of like the biggest stars of the 90s. The to, action star. So they actually yeah. took the comedy out and made it a serious action movie. The, yeah. like, <laughs> like A stereotypical 90s um, action movie that you would see on a Friday night. Yeah. I mean, you know, and they had. With your family. Yeah. At Tom, the Folsom uh, movie theater. The Folsom movie theater, yeah. <laughs> Sacramento kids, you'll get that. Iron Point in Folsom. No. Y'all will get that. That's where it is. Iron Point movie theater. Trust me, Sacramento I work there. Sacramento kids will get that. Uh, but anyways, I mean, you know, Tom Tom Cruise in there, Gwyneth Paltrow, Danny DeVito as Mini-Me, Kevin Spacey playing Dr. Evil. I mean, it was, that and was some of the biggest cameos. Kevin Spacey was an actual scumbag, so it was kind of foreshadowing. Yeah, <laughs> okay. it still leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I still love the usual suspects. Okay, so let's move on to, we said we would talk about the music. Let's talk about the absolute- Swingingest soundtrack in history. Soundtrack. Okay, so the theme song was written by Quincy Jones. It's called Soul Bossa Nova. It's not what you may think of it as the Austin Powers theme. And please re like unlearn that and then relearn Soul Bossa Nova by Quincy Jones because that is the original title. He wrote that, I think it was like 60 years ago and he wrote it in literally 20 minutes. And it has been so reinvented over the years. And it has just taken on this whole life force and it's such a good song and so quincy jones actually makes a cameo in the second one right third, third one third, third one. one yeah yeah um the it was you know after the whole you know tom cruise going to paltrow intro that's right, that's right. and yeah, uh they actually were like know, oh maybe we should put him on fucking screen yeah they, they they put him on screen and they even say you know that's where the movie gets its mojo yeah. baby and austin even right. kisses him on the cheek that's and right. yeah you know like so so the the austin powers movies were also really good about you know like really giving credit to the people well, that helped make late. it what it was. I mean, that was the third movie. They could have given him credit in the first. He had the theme song. Like, yeah, but I still think we could have given him they credit in the first. <laughs> 90s kids, again, settle another bet for Eric and I. Send us a message. Let us know what you think. There is no bet there. They definitely could have put him in sooner. Okay. So the other songs that were on the soundtrack were hits from Madonna, The Who, Burt Bacharach. Another one that I really loved was Nancy Sinatra's these boots were made for walking. Oh my God. The Femboss theme song. Yeah. I mean, that one is absolutely. They do it? Oh my God. We're moonlighting as a uh, acapella. acapella group, guys. <laughs> Ostapella. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, we, we, we've got, you know. Secret Agent Man by Go Getters. Yeah, I mean that that sounds great. We've got, you know, I touch myself by the by the divinals. Let's, Let's get, get it on, on by Marvin, Marvin Gaye. Gaye. 
quite possibly the sexiest song in history. Abs oh, it, it absolutely is the sexiest song in history. The only one that could get sexier than that is in the third movie during the whole Quincy Jones thing is when they do Boys with Britney Spears. Oh my God. And then you have Shining Star, Earth, Wind and Fire. When they're I mean, in the 70s, that's in gold member. That, back yeah, to the intro to the 70s. Like, oh, hell yeah. I love Earth, Wind and Fire. Yeah, if I went back to the 70s and the first song I heard wasn't Shining Star, I'd I would be mad. Be, I'd be like, give me my money back. I would be personally offended. <laughs> okay, then we also have Evil Woman, Electric Light or Orchestra, which is a oh song my God, I've ELO. always loved. Yeah. I've always loved that song. Okay, let's talk about the cars, too. So the cars had two, um, there were two cars. The first one was with the number plate Swinger, and then the, that one was uh, the Shaguar, the 1961 Jaguar E-Type. And then the second one was Swinger 2, um, and that was a 2001 XK8 convertible with the Union Jack paint scheme. I mean, they probably blew half their budget just getting a Jaguar painted with a Union Jack with the license plate Shaguar. No, uh, license plate Swinger. Even better. Oh, shit. Yeah, he just calls it the Shaguar. Yeah, it's called the Shaguar, but it's a Swinger and Swinger 2. But who cares? I mean, how much money did that joke cost? And they only used, <laughs> and they only used one of the cars for actual production. It was the right-handed one, and then the left-handed one they used for um, uh, promotion. Okay, there was also a psychedelic rainbow painted on the 1999 Volkswagen New Beetle in the second movie. That was the Time Machine. And then, and then, in Goldfinger, there was a 1975... Gold member, sorry. <laughs> see, that's what they Gold want Finger you to do. Goldfinger was Bond, that's yeah. That's exactly what they want you to do. In 19 Mike Myers, we see you. We see you. There was a 1975 Cadillac Eldorado Fleetwood Swinger 3, and it was pink. Oof. Stevie Nicks would be so impressed. Oh, my But there God. was a pink Fleetwood. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Or maybe Lindsay would be more impressed. <laughs> yeah, I think Lindsay would. <laughs> Please don't Lindsay, sue us. Lindsay, let it, come over for a drink sometime. No, Lindsay's the one that would sue us. <laughs> I don't know. Mick, come over for a drink sometime. Okay, so Austin's, let's talk about the set. Austin's world is colorful, it's fuzzy, it's soft. Dr. Evil's world is hard, it's dangerous, it's gray or brushed aluminum. There's always like a little red, like burst of color, like the scary phone or the radiation sign. Uh, but Austin's world is so fun and whimsical and, and groovy. I want to live there. It's psychedelic. It's shagadelic. It's it's beautifully extravagant. I mean, he lives in that pure 60s lifestyle, that yeah. swinging lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. I just I so I will also say if you're an L.A. person, there is a um, bar before COVID. There is a bar in Glendale called Electric Pussycat. Electric Pussycat. Electric Pussycat. Yeah. And it was super rad. We went there on like New Year's Eve or it was like the night before New Year's Eve and it was really like quiet in downtown Glendale. But um, but we've been wanting to go to that and then COVID happened. But there is an Austin Powers bar here that's supposed to be that has that aesthetic. Um, so I hope that things open up and we can start going to things like that again. But that aesthetic is so iconic. That's how the 90s kids were introduced to the six swing and 60s. Yeah, I and think. And the bead curtains and the tie-dye. Yeah, I think Austin Powers did a lot for really kind of like showing some of those 90 kids, those 90s kids, what that could have looked like. I mean, you know, we didn't, it was 1997. We didn't have the internet. We couldn't just We had Google. the internet, but not. Okay, we had the internet, but now. yeah. We didn't have Instagram we didn't have or whatever Instagram. where we could just like. <laughs> 
yeah, it just it just didn't work. So, I mean, you know, like, like, like we said before, you know, Austin Powers was a love letter to the 60s, to the 90s, to, you know, everything that that was. I mean, it was shagadelic. It was shagadelic. One thing I did want to bring up was how Austin Powers shaped the future of James Bond. Okay. I, uh, 90s kids, I will be the first to tell you. I saw all the 90s James Bond movies with my dad. My dad's a huge, huge Bond fan. Um, but I don't really remember them because it's not really my genre of movie. Um, so I have to rely on Eric for this one. It, there's there's so much parallel. I know that it it touches into even some of the, the Sean Connery ones. There, it kind of touches. So, so Eric, give me a little rundown about this legacy, how Austin Powers shaped. Well, Austin Powers kind of made it more of an overt statement of the joke that the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies had become. I mean, they were, mind you, like I said before, you know, I, I grew up watching those movies. They were brilliant. I love them. I love Pierce Brosnan. I love that era of James Bond, but it was over the top. It was, it was campy and stuff like that. And the, the Austin Powers movies really just kind of pointed that out. They just, you know, I didn't, I don't want to say they like exploited that, but they just pointed out the fact that the James Bond franchise had essentially fonzied it. They jumped the shark. I mean, it, it got a little too ridiculous. A little and too predictable and too, like, by the numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the Austin Powers movies played into that. And then even after that, I had the complete recast of, you know, from Pierce Brosnan to Daniel Craig. And even Daniel Craig said that it was because of Austin Powers that we had to destroy the myth because Mike Myers fucked us. <laughs> uh, he said, uh, saying it was impossible to do, to do the gags in earlier movies after Austin Powers uh, satirized it. Yeah. I mean, the... The Austin Powers movies really did make such a blatant joke. So they out had of, to go dark and serious. So they went gritty and dark. I mean, it was also at the time. I mean, I think the first uh, Daniel Craig Bond movie came out in like 2005. Was that, was that Casino Royale? Yeah, that, that was, was like, yeah, that was 2006. That was a uh, Casino that Royale. That was the best one. And that was also right after um, uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight or That's Batman right. Begins everything came got out. Got so, really dark. Yeah, everything got super dark, and like we were four years after 9/11. Like we were deep in the Bush administration. We were like, yeah, fuck, guys. Well, like you, you had to think too that like war on terror. Well, you, everything got dark then. I mean, you know, in the 90s we had you know the campiness of the Pierce Brosnan movies, and you know even the the Austin Powers movies. You know, they they were very fun. Uh, psychedelic and and campy and stuff and then all of a sudden everything got really serious really in gritty the, in the mid 2000s mid to late 2000s yeah it's like a response to the 90s happiness well yeah i mean austin yeah, powers 3 gold member came out in 2002 so yeah, yeah by 2005 they were just like oh shit like we're gonna die darker the shit out of this these kids <laughs> Okay. Frank the bunny, where are you? Okay, so really quickly, I also wanted to mention, um, there was a really interesting GQ article that I read um, that I really wanted to mention because I thought it really, it, it did kind of sum up some of my hesitations about the movie. And um, the, the question that the article was trying to answer was if the Austin Powers franchise holds up. And the, 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 the term holds up is kind of subjective. I think, you know, some people would say, what is that? Does that mean, is it culturally relevant? Does that mean it's politically correct? Does that mean, who knows? Um, but I think um, some of it's yes and some of it's no. I think, you know, yes, some of the, some of the stuff in the Austin Powers movies 
is very off color. But sometimes when you're looking at a movie that was made a few decades ago, you just got to look at it with the way they looked at it sometimes. And does it hold up over time? No, not always. But on the whole, <laughs> I think preparation, preparation. age <laughs> feels good. You're right. It does feel better on the whole. So let's talk a little bit about reboots. And then finally, if there's going to be any uh, Austin Powers 4. Um, so well, H- Austin Powers 4 was Shrek 1 through 17 or whatever they're on right well, now. Well, okay. So apparently, so HBO bought the rights to make an animated series in May 1999, but shelved it. And then um, as, you know, 2005 rolled around, they floated the idea of making a fourth, and it was supposed to be from Dr. Evil's point of view. I remember that, And then um, even Larry King, R.A.P., who just passed away, um, asked Mike Myers about it in um, as late as 2016, and Mike Myers was, you know, he even said that he expressed an interest in it as well. Um, And then when Vern Troyer passed away in 2018, Jay Roach, the director, said it might not be possible to do a Dr. Evil without him. But in 2018, once again, Mike Myers hinted that he still wanted to do one and that they would maybe make kind of some kind of tribute to Troyer and make it, um, you know, like in his honor and his memory. And then in January 2020, Jay Roach said he's still interested. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where right now I think everybody would love a revisit to, you know, the Austin Powers world. And I, I, I think they're, you know, they're. There are a lot of things that happened with, you know, some of the, those actors and stuff. You might have to work around some of those things. But, you know, I, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think everybody would kind of welcome uh, a revisit to the Austin Powers so world. I mean, in um, like today's context, yeah. in today's like, you know, understanding of cultural norms and cultural courtesies and things like that. Right. Like, I mean, imagine Austin Powers, you know, maybe even being frozen after the last movie or whatever. And now it's 2021 and Austin Powers being, you know, from the 60s, all about like the the swing in 60s and the free sex and the free love and everything like that. And now just to go outside, he's got to wear a mask. (laughs) I mean, there's got to be plenty of gags in there about his teeth. Like, True, yeah. Well, there's there's, there's, there's that material to work with, but... There's also eh. precedent. There's also precedent because, um, you know, James Bond continues. So all they would have to do is just kind of mock the current James Bond. There's, it's already laid out for them. They just have to take the current James, the most recent James Bond, and then, like, lay it out on the table and, like, turn the dial up to 15. <laughs> well, there, there's there's already even a lot of jokes about how uh, even uh, Austin Powers already kind of, like, subverted the, the Daniel Craig uh, Bond era because, spoiler alert, uh, we find out after several Daniel Craig movies that uh, one of the, the main bad guys is actually... His brother. And guess what? That happened in Austin Powers. Yeah. They did they, yeah. they did three movies before you finally find out that Dr. Evil, again, spoiler alert, is Austin's brother. And Michael I mean, Caine is their dad. Yeah. Nigel Powers. I mean, come on. <laughs> like the Bond franchise, even after they, they the, the Bond franchise tried to get away from the campiness of the Daniel Craig era and the the you know this the the satiricalness of you know the the Austin Powers movies and everything and they tried to get away from that and they still ended up with the same twist of the main bad guy being his brother. Yeah. Like shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so final thoughts. Eric, give me your final thoughts on 
the Austin Powers franchise, its legacy and your memories and how you take it with you as a former 90s and as a 90s kid. Give me your final thoughts on Austin Powers. I absolutely love it. Uh, Austin Powers is still one of my favorite franchises. I remember uh, growing up and going to the theater to see those. uh, So I'm a little bit nostalgic that way. But again, after everything, I mean, like there's some things that don't exactly hold up necessarily over time. But I think if you look at them in context, the Austin Powers franchise is absolutely phenomenal. It's fun. It's brilliant. It's it's wonderful. I mean, take a take a couple nights, watch those movies. And you know what? You're going to laugh. Some of it is cringeworthy for sure. And you might be like, ah! but That's look true. at That's it. That's a really good way to put it. Look at it in a late 90s SNL style mindset. I mean, it's an extended Saturday Night Live joke. I mean, it was supposed to be turned into a trilogy. Exactly. It was supposed to be a little off color. color. (laughs) I mean, it was that that's what it was. I mean, it's it's brilliant. It's fun. It's it's psychedelic. It's shagadelic. It's it's got all sorts of wonderful colors, wonderful, colorful characters. Watch the trilogy. Funny jokes, funny quotes. Yeah. And some of it's fucked up. But <laughs> what isn't these days? It's 2021. Let's be real. We all like things that are a little fucked up. So I just want to say, in conclusion, my final thoughts. Um, Austin Powers, we watched all three of them recently. And um, the one takeaway I have to say, um, I've seen the, all three of these movies several times. But watching them again in a row in this context for this purpose and like looking at, at it with kind of a historian's critical eye, I just have to say the soundtrack stuck out to me the most. Just Fire. how phenomenal the soundtrack and the composition is. It is just incredible. So I mean, they probably spent half their budget just licensing, licensing the songs. Yeah, like, yeah, I think so too. And I, I think that's what, like, that would be a cool movie. I mean, if you spent half your budget licensing the right music. Then you have to fit the set I mean, and the costumes to, to live up to it. I feel like a lot of 90s movies killed it with licensing. Yeah, I think so too. Almost Famous. Oh, is that a 90s movie? That's a 2000s movie. Shit. I don't know. I don't know. Tell us. Let us know. Well, that's it, everybody. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. It was a groovy, shagadelic time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, baby. Yeah. Alright, so you can find us on Instagram at Talk to the Hand Pod or visit our website at talktothehandpod.com. Let us know what you think. Did you watch Austin Powers? Did you see them in the theaters? Did you watch them on VHS? Did you love the music? Did you love the costumes? Did you love Mike Myers? Did you say yeah, baby? Was your AOL instant AOL instant message screen name? Yeah, baby, six nine six nine eight seven. Look, throw me a freaking bone here. <laughs> Just let me know. Let's let's get this going right now. Let's get an Austin Powers 4 in the works. When the problem comes along. You must, must whip it. Zip it good. Oh, shit. <laughs> we were there. We were there. Um, All right, we're going to go turn it on and listen to the soundtrack right now and go make dinner because we need some dinner because we've been drinking some wine. Mike Myers, Austin Powers 4, I'll help produce. Let's go. Hit us up. Well, that's it, everyone. Thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe, wear a mask, socially distance, be a good human, and please, please, please be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes.